We're going to be looking at a psalm today. We'll get there in a moment. We're in the midst of a series talking about insomnia. Things that don't let us get to sleep at night. And we're in the middle of a series where we're talking about how do we overcome those fears that keep us awake at night. Let me just tell you that uh, this week I looked up some things that cause us to have insomnia. Things that cause us not to be able to go to sleep. And the list is long. And when I got to read it, I thought, man, I really ought to have this thing. Like stress, anxiety, depression, any kind of medicine, caffeine, any of that. Let me, let me tell you, um, this weekend I've discovered both a cause and a cure of insomnia. Okay? And so the cause is you allow 12 middle school boys to be at your house for the weekend. And the cure is when they leave. So this afternoon, my couch and the masters and a nap have an appointment at my house, right? So let me ask you a question. If I ask for volunteers, um, or let's, let's put it this way, at, at work, at work, your boss asks for someone to come in and says this is part of your job to do this, or at school your teacher says that this weekend on Saturday, without any extra pay, I need you to come in. This is not extra credit in school. This is just required for you to do because... Uh, I want you to do it. I want you to sort through a stack of envelopes that I've got that are 10,000 high. And I want you to open them up and sort whatever's in there and just put them in different piles. If you just sort through those 10,000 envelopes, uh, that'd be great. Now, what are you going to feel about that? How are you going to, is that going to be an enjoyable thing? No, right? So now let me ask you this. What if they said inside one of those envelopes, is a check for $100,000. And if you find the check, you can keep it. How are you now going to feel about that task? You're like, yeah, absolutely, right? What's the difference? It's the same task, right? What's the difference? The $100,000 is a difference, right? The purpose is the difference. Or imagine being a doctor and telling a lady that, uh, I'm sorry, you've got a condition that over the next few months, your waistline's going to increase 10 inches and you're going to gain 30 to 40 pounds. Now, if you just tell her that, that may not be a good reaction. If you then tell her that's because you're expecting a child, there's a different understanding, right? Some of you are like, no, that would not make it any better. All right. The purpose behind something can give us meaning. And we're going to talk about this today because one of the things that has kept people awake for thousands of years, one of the things that has kept people awake at night for thousands of years is this question of, do I really matter and what's the meaning of life? In fact, um, one of the earliest writings we have about this comes from the Bible. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the very first two verses of Ecclesiastes, which is a, a, a book written by a guy who was uh, wealthy beyond imagination, was powerful beyond what you could think. He, he wrote these words in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. He said, the words of the preacher, that just means the guy that's writing, it doesn't mean necessarily like he was up in front of people. The son of David, king in Jerusalem, so it's Solomon. And this is what he says about life. This is his opening thing. This is the first thing out of the gate. He says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, is there a theme to that verse? Right? What's the theme? Vanity, right? Now, here's what I want you to understand. If you look at some translations of this, they'll say meaninglessness. 
But that's not really what this word means in this context. When you said it twice like that, it's like holy of holies, it's for emphasis. And what this word really means is not meaninglessness. What it really means is that life doesn't make a difference. That it's short. That it's gone. That it's here and then it's not. The Bible has this throughout the entire book. This understanding that it's gone. James 4.14 says this. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Um, one of the things that, that I've been privileged to do for the last few years for um, GLOW, on GLOW Weekend is I've been privileged to, on Saturday night, cook the hamburgers and the hot dogs for the kids. And as the youth group has grown, that task has grown. And Randy Brooks and I get together, we we cook, we do that every year, we get the grill all there. And uh, my dad, who's a master griller, he's the one that's coming for Men's Meat Fest and does lots of grilling, taught me this method of seasoning hamburgers through spraying. And so I put it in a, uh, we had a nice little flower spray bottle yesterday. You spray the burgers down with it, it gives it even distribution. But as I was making sure it was working, I knew this was, I was preaching on this. And so I squirted and it just took me, I just watched for a second as the mist just came and went. In fact, Randy may have thought I was a little off for a minute because I was just standing there spraying and watching, you know, <laughs> spraying and watching. And he says, our lives are like that mist. It's just gone. In Genesis, the very beginning of the book, Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, God says to Adam, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. He's saying that you're going to have to work hard for a living. You're going to have to work hard your entire life just to make ends meet. And then you're going to return to the ground. For after you were taken it, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. God says basically you're going to be born, and for your entire life you're going to work hard just to make ends meet. And then you die. Or in the book of Job, he says it this way, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Man, aren't you encouraged this morning? Right? says we came into this world with nothing. We're going to leave with nothing. We're going to live. We're going to die. And then it's gone. I mean, even people that thought they were going to make a huge impact or make some determination on the world have really passed into history with very little impact. You might know who this guy is? King Tut, right? We don't really know what King Tut looks like. We just know what his mask looks like. King Tut was a guy that lived, was a ruler in Egypt, built a pyramid for himself, got all of his belongings into the pyramid. He wanted to live there. He wanted to take it all with him. He, wanted, he had amassed all this fortune. And guess what happened? He died and his fortune stayed here. We really wouldn't have known a whole lot about King Tut if some, some people found it, and now they put it in a traveling museum exhibit so that little kids in Cleveland can stick their faces on the glass and look at it. But he's gone. And with it, really kind of any influence that he had. Most of us in this room, if we're just dead honest, are going to live our 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, fortunate 100 years. And when we get through with it, we're going to have a funeral because we're going to be dead. And the people that have a funeral, they're going to cry for a little bit and then they're going to go have lunch and their lives are going to continue. I just want to encourage you this morning. <laughs> right? It's a mist. It's gone. 
And you think about all the things in our lives that we think are important that will have no relevance whatsoever at that moment. And so the question becomes, what does matter? I've got an answer for you, all right? Psalm 57. If you've got a Bible, turn to Psalm 57. If you don't have a Bible with you, but you've got a smartphone, you can go to FBC Goodlitzville slash purpose at the end of that. Um, we got it in there. There it is. FBCGoodlitzville.com backslash purpose. And you can go there and uh, the scripture for the day will be there. Psalm 57. And Psalm 57 starts off like this. All right. To the choir master, to the guy leading the choir, to the guy that is going to be directing this song. David's writing the lyrics out. To the tune of Do Not Destroy, all right? That's kind of one of those little points that we don't think about very much, but apparently Do Not Destroy was a pretty hip tune back then, right? I don't know if Taylor Swift had written it or what, but they, they've got it there. And he says, hey, when you get there, do Do Not Destroy and put these words to it. And then it says, a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Now, a lot of times we just jump over that, but this is important, all right? David's in a cave. And this is the reason David's in a cave is because Saul, who is king, is chasing David. Now, he's not chasing David to say, I just want to tell him a good job. Why is Saul chasing David? To kill him. See, there was this little thing that David had been anointed as the next king. And Saul was not real happy about the fact that David had been anointed next king. And not only that, Saul was a little upset that David was like really popular, like you know, he killed Goliath. We talked about that last week. And he killed Goliath. People kind of like that. Um, there were these songs that the girls, I mean, David was like, when David went into a town, it was like One Direction was walking through the streets. They were fawning over him. They literally, they had a song that said, Saul has killed his thousand and David has killed his tens of thousands. They would swoon as they said it. All right. They loved him. And so Saul said, I can't have that. I'm going to kill him. And so David's on the run. Saul has banished him from the country, and he's got thousands of soldiers going out to look for David. And David is holed up in a cave with just a few men. And this is what he wrote. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. And then he says this, which is important. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He goes on to say this. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah, which means break. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. He continues saying, my soul is in the midst of lines. He's like, I, I am in the midst of major trouble. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Then he says this. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. And then the last one. I'll give you thanks, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. And he says this again. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Here's what I want you to know. And we're going to do three quick points out of this and then we're going to be done. Here's the truth. It is reality that if we don't go quickly, we're going to lose like me. All right. And so we're going to do this quickly. Three quick points out of this. Number one, first of all, you have to realize that the purpose of your life is not about you. 
And the biggest issue people have is that they make the purpose of their life about them or about their family or about their career or about their job. If you want to sleep well at night, you know one of my favorite things in there? We won't, we won't put it back on the screen. One of my favorite things in there is David says, I will awake the morning with my singing. He is going to bed at night and he says, God, I am so confident in that your purpose for my life will prevail that I'm going to bed and I'm not worrying about a thing when I go to sleep. And I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to sing praises to your name because I know it. The purpose of your life is not about you. The very first sermon that I preached at this church as your pastor, the first sermon I preached at this church at your pastor, had the exact same first point that we have here. And I know you all remembered that, that we're around. Right? But life cannot be lived in a way that is appropriate to be lived when we focus our lives on us or our families or other people. It is not about you. It's not about your happiness. It's not about your fulfillment. It's not about your career. It's not about your thoughts or your dreams or your ambitions. It's not. If you need biblical kind of proof of that, all through Scripture it tells us what life is supposed to be about. In fact, people say, well, why did God create the earth? Well, some people, if you look out there, even in the scientific community, even in Christian scientific community, say, well, the earth is perfectly formulated for us. And so God created the earth for man. But that's not what the Bible says. Psalm 19.1 says that the earth, the heavens, declare the glory of God. That the reason they were created is to declare His glory. What about Israel? Why is there a nation of Israel? Why did He pick the Israelite people? Well, it tells us in Psalm 106.8 that God saved Israel for His name's sake. That He might make known His mighty power through them. Even tells us in Ezekiel chapter 36 that the whole reason that he does miracles is for the sake of my holy name that I'm going to act. That the nations will know that I am the Lord. You see, the truth is scripture teaches us over and over and over again that the entire reason for my existence, for your existence, for the existence of all creation is solely the glory of God Almighty. And any time we begin to think that our purpose or our fulfillment is found in something other than that, we have missed the mark miserably. Ephesians 1.6, which isn't going to be on the screen, says that God saved us to make his trophies of his glorious grace. That we would be on display for that to happen. See, here's the thing. You have to understand the history of the world. Okay? I'm going to give you the history of the world in about a minute and a half. No, it'll be longer than that, but. God created the world. And with every stroke that he paints, as he paints that the angels around are in awe, and they go, man, that is awesome, God. Wow, that's amazing. And then after everything else is created, he creates us to share in his glory. And as he creates us to share in his glory, he does something that is unbelievable because he's left the center of the picture kind of out. And he says to the man, he hands them the paintbrush and he says, you fill in the center. Creation wasn't completed until we did our task of giving glory back to God. And instead of painting God in the center of that picture, man took the brush and he drew us. And every child born into this world since the beginning of time has had at the center of their universe themselves. Now, I use this illustration all the time, but if you have any doubt about that, 
how do you determine whether a picture is good or not? If you're in the picture, how do you determine whether it's good or not? How you look in the picture. If you took a picture with eight members of your family and they all looked horrible and it's the best picture you've seen of yourself in a while, you're like, man, that picture is awesome. Look at that. That is unbelievable, right? If you took a picture of your family and like you've like, I have never seen them all look forward and smile with appropriate smiles. And the, the I mean, it's the sunlight is perfect. And we're at the Grand Canyon. And that is the most scenic picture I've ever seen. Oh, what's that look on my face? That's a terrible picture, right? It's based on what you look like. Have you noticed people on Facebook don't have bad profile pictures, right? Like you don't put, like you'll see somebody and go, oh, that. That's you? Wow. That's, I'm not going to point out any names. I'm just saying that you see that, right? Because we're self-centered. We want to portray ourselves. And so what happened is God gave us the opportunity to do what we were called to do, and we failed. Even our prayer life kind of demonstrates that because our whole prayer life is, God, I need. God, give me. God, please. God, stop them. Quit that they're, they're messing with me. Stop them. I, I need this. Hey, I'm sick. I need to be well. Hey, my kids are sick. They need to be well. When we give, we give thinking, man, God's going to give me something back on that. We live as if we think the center of the universe is us. And when God doesn't behave like we think we ought to, we get upset about it. So if you're God, what do you do when your creation hijacks the creation that you made for them? In the Roman times, and even in our times, you just squash it. You just do away with it. You just end the rebellion. But that's not what Scripture tells us God did. It tells us in Philippians 2, 6 that Jesus, though in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, made himself nothing, humbled himself, became obedient to death on the cross. He did what you and I would never do. He gave up his rightful claim to come to earth to die for us. And the reason is so that we can have an opportunity to do the thing we were made to do. Y'all been around a little bit. If you have, you know, I get inspiration from crazy places. One of the things that happened this week is I saw inspiration and kind of a crazy story that's happening at the Masters. All right? There's this guy. Those of you, I, I like the Masters. I'm a golf guy. I love to play. I played like once in two years, but I like it. All right? There's a guy at the Masters, and it's just a little bit different. I think we've got his picture. Here he is. Okay? And this is a guy named um, Bryson DeChambeau. Okay? Bryson DeChambeau is a guy that's different. First of all, he's young. He's like 22 years old. He's an amateur, which is not a professional golfer, but he's a really good amateur. He's like the United States amateur champion. He's the NCAA, the college champion. But Bryson is a, a weird cat. And he, here's the thing. He's a physics major. Now, those of you that play golf, just close your ears for a moment. You don't have to be smart to play golf. Okay? Like you, you hit a ball and you chase it. And when you find it, you... Hit it again, right? At some point, it might just be wise to pick the thing up, right? Right? Sometimes you hit it into places that you can never find, and somehow you spend 20 minutes finding it just so you can hit it into another place that you won't be able to find, right? I mean, it doesn't take a lot of smarts to to play golf, right? But he is brilliant. He's a physics major, and he asked this question, which is what happens when smart people play golf. Why are all my clubs different lengths? 
Now, here's the thing. When you play golf, every club you have, the driver's the longest, or as uh, some people put it, the long hitter's the longest, right? All the way down to the shortest club, and they're different lengths. He said, why would I learn 13 swings when I can make them all the same length and hit one swing? So this guy playing this week is the only person playing with every club of his the same length. He names his clubs by people's names, and he studies the course in different ways. Now, here's the thing. He's good, like really good. And because he's good as an amateur, he got to play with the guy that has led the tournament for the last seven rounds in the first two rounds, Jordan Speed. Now, at the end of the round, they asked him a question. They said, man, were you, were you nervous? I mean, this is the Masters. This is what everybody that ever played golf wants to play. This is your first time to play it. And you're playing with the guy that won it last year and is the favorite to win it this year. Were you nervous? And I love what he said. Look what he said. I wasn't nervous at all. Now, this is a little cocky sound in here. It's not meant to be. He said, I had some adrenaline going. I mean, yeah, sure, I was a little hyped up. But I just striped that thing down the right center. Most people, I guess, I guess they'd say they were nervous. And then he says this, and I love this. He said, but I've been saved by grace. So it doesn't even matter. This is just another golf shot out here. If I can perform to the highest level, great. If not, it's an opportunity to show my grace and character. Now, listen to what he says. The thing that's most amazing to me in this, I mean, I love the saved by grace. I love that last part, and we'll talk about it. But the most amazing thing to me is he says, I'm standing on hole number one of what most people would consider the greatest golf course in the history of the world with the greatest tournament that has ever been played. It's my first opportunity. I'm playing with last year's champ. And to me, it's just another golf shot. It's like going out to 12 stones and hacking around a little bit. Right? Because he says, that's not my purpose in life. He's a 22-year-old kid. You talk about perspective. The master's is not my purpose. He says, I've been saved. And this is my opportunity for people to see the grace and the character that God has given me. What's your purpose? What's your goal? I mean, there are people that would literally give up major things in their life to have that opportunity. But he says, that's not my purpose. Your purpose in life is to glorify God with everything you have. It is not to build a great career. It is not to have the most money. It's not to even build a security blanket for your family for the future. It's not to raise a, God, a good family. It's not just to have uh, the things that you want to be comfortable. It's not just to be a good person that gives back to the community and helps people around them. That's not your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is to give glory and honor to the one who created you. And that's it. David understood that. David got it. Not once did he complain about being in the cave. Not once did he ask God to get him out of the cave. He said, I mean, don't you imagine he wanted better accommodations? Don't you say, like, if you could just get Saul off my tail for a little bit, that'd be great. But he doesn't. He says, God, your name be glorified. And your name be made great. You see, God wants us to understand that our purpose has nothing to do with us. It's not about us. And secondly, wants us to understand it's more internal than it is external that he cares about. God cares deeply about the person you're becoming, not what you have in your life. He cares deeply about the holiness that is being developed in your life, not about how happy you are. David's in the cave. 
He's found refuge there, and God wants him to understand. And he understands this. He says, my refuge is not in this cave. It's not in doing all the good things. My refuge, God, is in you. I don't know what you put your refuge into, but at some point in your life, everything here that you place refuge in will go away. David was a guy that was anointed as king, went out and defeated Goliath, and then came back to the pasture, and then in the midst of all of that, was run out of the country, told that he could no longer step foot in it, and one of the most terrible points of his life. And through the midst of all of it, God is saying, I'm developing the character in you that I need in a king. We're going to live, like I said, 70, 80 years on this earth. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to live a number of years that you cannot count in eternity. And God is much more concerned about you developing the character now that will help you to live out eternity than he is about how comfortable you are for the next 15 years. Here's the last thing and then we're done. It's more about internal than external. And finally this, if we surrender to the Lord, he will fulfill his purpose. Several times in this passage, David says over and over again, God, I know you will fulfill. I will lie down to rest. I will rise and sing. There is a confidence in David that says, as long as I am trusting in the Lord, everything will be fulfilled. God will finish it. One of the lessons that we try to teach to our kids, one of the lessons that I constantly preach to myself, one of the lessons that we see as good human values is that you finish what you start. So one of my kids um, says, I want to play this sport. We're like, that's great. Let's make sure it doesn't conflict with everything around us that's going to conflict with. Okay, we're going to pay the money. Once we pay the money, you're in it. You're going to finish, right? I want to be a part of this club. Well, that's great. That's great. Once you, once you start it, we're going to finish, all right? In my own life, I have to teach myself that. Like, I've started this project, I've started a book, I've started something. I'm going to finish, right? Now, some of that's mandated. Like, if I start a sermon on Monday, if I don't finish it by Sunday, guess what? You know, y'all kind of know, right? Like, I'm not here. Like, imagine me getting up on Sunday morning going, hey, you know what? I uh, just didn't get it done this week, all right? We finish things. That's what we want. Well, God is the ultimate finisher. In fact, in Hebrews 12, it says, Jesus is the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. And whatever he starts, he finishes. In Romans 8, 28, it's a verse that we know well. I think that's up there. It is. He tells us, he says, we know that for those who love God and all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, he says, God's going to do that. But look what it says after that. We often forget those. He says, those that he knew beforehand were going to be saved. He predestined. That means he said, I'm going to do it. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that I might be the firstborn of other brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. We're not getting into all that theological stuff there. Here's the point of that whole thing. What God starts, he finishes. And if you will trust in him, he will complete it in your life, even if it seems there are times when you don't understand it. The Christian life is very simple. Christian life is very simple. People get all caught up in what is God's purpose for my life, what is all that. Here's the, I can give you the purpose for your life as simply as I can put it as this. You are to receive God's glorious grace as a free gift and then spend the rest of your days spreading his glory by telling other people what he's done for you. That's it. Receive his grace and tell others. I'll finish with this story. I read it this week about a girl 
um, who attended a, a church in the southeastern United States. Her name was Clara. She was a lady in her uh, early to mid-twenties. And the church had a call. They were going to take some people over to a, a country that was mostly Islamic. And Claire went over there and worked for several weeks, worked for several months, and then she went missing. And this is what her field reporter, this is what her team leader said about Clara. She said, for three months she was missing, and then we got word through a local source that she was being held captive in the mountains. I and a few others from our team ended up negotiating with the hostage takers for six months. During that time, we received news that she was being moved around to keep her hidden. The military tried to rescue her. In fact, the same group of people that captured Osama bin Laden's compound, SEAL Team 6, was trying to locate her. Twice they got very close. One of those times we found out later she had been moved to the neighboring house as the troops arrived. Another time she was hidden in the basement of a house and the rescue team was in the house. You can only imagine Clara's frustration to hear a rescuers just a few feet away and then to realize they had failed. Their team leader says, I wish I could share with you this ended happily. The story has no real ending. We don't know what happened to Clara. She kept being moved from village to village, handed off from one group to rogue men to another. The last we heard, she had been headed over to a nomadic group of arms dealers that wandered through the desert of death in Central Asia, and then she disappeared. He said, I've been asked, is Clara an extraordinary hero of faith? And he says, in one sense she was, but honestly, he says, it's hard for me to think of her in the hero category. He says, if I sit and remember her as she was, she was just a regular woman from the southern United States. A friendly, smiling friend. A person who struggled along with the rest of us when it was hot, who loved to go on vacation. A regular American girl who decided to step out in faith. The only reason she came to Central Asia was she wanted Muslims to hear the gospel. It was her understanding of what Christ had done for her, how he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant that led her to leave her life in suburban American southeast to move to one of the most forsaken places on earth, a place where windows have had to have blast film because of the risk of explosions, a place where there's no electricity to run a fan in a 100-degree heat, a place where armed Islamic group that is hostile to the gospel operates without impunity. She did this. Because she understood that Christ came to earth to face even greater dangers, even more separation from his father, and even more discomfort for our sake. She realized that her life is about making known his glory to the people who need to hear. Man, what's your, what's your meaning of life? What's the reason we're here? I get mad at myself for the ways that I get caught up in the midst of pursuits that are not going to matter a week from now, a year from now, and definitely when I'm gone. And my goal is God's glory alone. Let's pray together.